quite a week of snow here <laughs> in Maryland. Yes, we had our big nor'easter, as we like to call them. Came um, back around. And it was so nice, like, because we really haven't gotten, like, we had snow, like, a couple months ago when we talked about it. But, like, this was, like, I mean, just snowing for, like, two days straight. It was, like, snowman snow. Yeah, it was wonderful. Now, I know you, <laughs> you all up in the north are, like, what, you got half a foot? I know. <laughs> We're like, we haven't had a big snowstorm since 96. I know. So calm down. It's like, it was 2010. It was the year yeah. I had Caroline. Oh, yeah. Um, But we have had like so much interaction this week. I don't mm-hmm. know if we said it last week, but Joyce gave us a beautiful oh review. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Joyce Hodges, thank you so much. So sweet and is talking to us on <sighs> Facebook mostly. Um, on our Facebook page, which yeah. is awesome because there's less people over there. So yes. I always love those notifications. <laughs> and then, of course, our regulars are yes. always Avery Bray, Sazzle42, oh all of our wonderful patrons, always chatting it up with us online. We love that. I love it. And uh, Miss Krista, you are obviously not alone in crying at last week's episode. Um, I was listening again today and I told the story and I was crying again I know I was crying (laughs) editing it I was like what is wrong with me I know the ending I know but oh my gosh so Miss Christy you're not alone um but you know thanks for reaching out we just loved hearing we love hearing what you think about the episodes and like the podcast in general and hearing your suggestions so yeah it's been really great really fun week for us yeah and a couple things on the docket yes a if you count how many times I said terrible in last week's episode (laughs) I will send you a dollar bill in the mail And I might even write something on it. Get a little saucy. Be weird. Um, And then B, we have Secret Sandra Day O'Connor coming Mm -hmm. up in March. Mm -hmm. So I've had a couple people contact me and let me know. And I've seen on Patreon. So let us know if you want to be a part of our patron women's history gift exchange yes and if you would like to put a little santa hat on sandra day o'connor and send it to us i would appreciate it because i don't know how to photoshop wow so i'm sure i could (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i could do it i feel like i can do it via instagram um Um, yeah but we can also have a contest yeah oh the best sandra day o'connor with the santa hat okay this is excellent but we're not here to talk about sandra day o'connor no not yet at least we should what are we doing (laughs) i don't know we're here to talk about her on the rock with Katie and Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind, we're drinking the entire time. And we're not historians. <laughs> Absolutely and those not. powers combined, <laughs> Woo! we are a decent podcast. Yes. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Five stars on iTunes, probably three stars in the history books. Really one and a half probably. (laughs) I'll no no, I think we get bumped up to three because we're talking about women's history and that's not there. Exactly. Okay, so fine. Fine. Um, But you guys are busy. You're so busy. Um I don't know what you're doing. You're a mason. You are. You're bricklaying in the winter, too, so it's cold. Well, and it's really hard. I know this because fiancé is a chimney technician. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really hard to bricklay because the mortar literally freezes. Oh, so you can't stick it together. Yeah, so... It's uh, just a tip out there. If you want to get your chimney redone, try not to do it in winter because then like, you know, if you choose to go through that, they have to literally mix antifreeze into the mortar and it makes it slightly less stable. You know what I'm saying? So like it's not quite as strong. Um, So, yeah, just a little tip from me to you. (laughs) 
you don't want antifreeze in your chimney. No. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um, but because you're a mason laying bricks on top of someone's roof in a winter with antifreeze, yes. you antifreeze, <laughs> you can't uh, stop to Google these women. No, you're going to get mortar all over your phone. Yeah. Nobody wants Ridiculous. that. You probably have gloves on as well. Yes. Uh, so we're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I'm doing my first fictional woman of the season, uh, Pamela Isley, a.k.a. Poison Ivy. I had no idea that was her name. I'm already learning. I love it. Uh, She is a slender, fair-skinned woman with brownish red hair and green eyes. Pre-transformation, she wore black framed glasses, a white lab coat, and grayish tank top with either khaki shorts or pants or a skirt and brown boots okay so it just looks like she's in a lab post transformation her hair is very red she wears a green unitard most of the time with leaves and other plant life surrounding it sometimes she's in gloves sometimes her skin is tinted green but she's almost always barefoot and wearing very toxic lipstick she's been skillfully played by Uma Thurman in Mm -hmm. Batman and Robin and in Gotham she's had kind of a slew of people portray her and then of course in animated series Lego movies and video games She's been voiced by uncountable women. But the most important thing is the original intent of her look and voice by the creators were to resemble the beautifully amazing Betty Page. (gasps) And in turn is considered one of the most attractive characters in the Batman universe. What? I did Betty Page and I feel like I didn't know that. But also I feel like she like so many comic book creators were inspired by her. I agree. And so they her original haircut was supposed Uh to look like Betty Page and then they also originally gave her a southern accent. Really? Over time it's become more like sexy. Yeah. Um, But it was supposed to be like have a southern draw. (laughs) I know. Okay. I didn't know that until I did the research. Okay, who are you doing and what does she look like? All right. I am doing Julia Butterfly Hill. Uh, Julia is 5'10". She has a very tall, slim frame, but she often appears shorter because we often see her next to a very big tree. She has an oval face with brown hair and brownish green eyes, a petite nose, and a thin but glowing smile. In most photos of her, her hair is super long and just being swept away by the wind. But now she sports a more like shorter salt and pepper hair color. She is often wearing loose earth toned clothing and no shoes because being barefoot and having a good coating of sap on your feet makes it a little easier to live among the trees. (laughs) I love that we both had barefoot in our I mean, this one's a, a little planned. Oh, this was very planned. <laughs> Not Usually like, we don't plan. This was planned. Um, okay, great. Well, now that we know what they look like, I feel like we should get into these drinks. This drink is so cute. I need everybody to know it kind of looks like a sunset almost. Yeah. So it is, when I look at it, and Katie made it, and as she was making it, I was like, that is beautiful. So the bottom, there's like pineapple juice resting on the bottom. So it's mm-hmm. like a little bit yellow. And then there's some sort of reddish liqueur on the top. So it's fading down. And then there's blueberries floating on foam. I don't know. It's very pretty. It's so cute. Tell me what's in it. Okay. So this is called an ode to Luna. It is an ounce and a half of organic vodka, an ounce of elderflower liqueur, an ounce of pineapple juice, and you shake that up and then you top the whole thing with blueberry ginger kombucha and you garnish with fresh blueberries. Love it. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. 
so good. I love it. I mean, I just wanted to create something like fresh and fruity and fun, but also like incorporate. Yeah, very <laughs> earth friendly. <laughs> this is a pretty much like completely organic drink, which is really fun. I love it. It's mm. so good. It's really fresh. I'm going to gobble it down so quickly. Absolutely. Um, mm. I really like this. Uh, I also don't know if you know that this is a request because it's kind of a half request. Oh, no, I don't. Okay, who requested this? So years ago, I posted about, it's sad that we can say that now. (laughs) Years ago, I posted about Julia Butterfly Hill on just like a Today in History. Mm -hmm. And um, at that point, Janice on the move, which is Janice from... Um, Formichella, I think is her last name now or Formichella. Okay. I can't tell, but Janice, tell me how to pronounce it. I'm so (laughs) sorry. I'm being the worst, but formerly known as Janice on the move was like, Oh, did you guys do an episode about her? I can't wait to listen. And I just like kind of logged that in the back of my head. So, all right. Well, Janice, this this is is for you. you. This is it. And Janice also has an incredible blog. Mm -hmm. Like just like a month or two ago, she did maybe less than that. She did one on the, um, the history of the muff, like how (gasps) women wore like a muff and her links in her bio. So if you find her on Instagram, you can find the link to her like history blog. It's super cute. Ah, so great. Well, Janice, I hope you like this episode and this cocktail because I really would like to encourage people to make it because it's delicious and kombucha is really healthy for you. So. <laughs> there you go, Miss Krista. <laughs> okay. So I got a lot of this from the Power of Connection podcast. It's a podcast run by this woman. Um, and she, the first couple episodes are her just interviewing Julia about her life. Oh, neat. So it was great to actually just listen to her literally A to Z tell her story and then be like okay because her Wikipedia page is so short oh wait yeah that's what I know about her that's what oh I what I'm sorry what do you know about her uh, that she <laughs> got in a tree I think one of the big redwood or sequoia mm-hmm. trees that's all I know oh wonderful all okay. I know is she was there for like over a year I think yeah okay mm-hmm. that's it now okay go. perfect um I got uh the other half of this from this YouTube documentary called Adventures in Tree Setting which I think is so cute <laughs> And many websites that have not been updated since Y2K. It was such a just time warp for me, like to click on these websites that were literally just like like a clip art sparkly butterfly. (laughs) And it was like, Julia Butterfly Hill. Like, and it's like, that's it. They look like like they were made in a college class. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Julia Lorraine Butterfly Hill was born on February 18th, 1974 in Mount Vernon, Missouri. Her father, Dale, was a traveling minister and her mother, Kathy, was a very traditional minister's wife. (laughs) If that paints a picture for you, (laughs) she was the middle child with an older and younger brother and Being in this kind of strict Christian household was kind of hard enough for Julia. She said in an interview that there are kids that draw inside the lines, those that draw outside the lines, and those that draw on the walls trying to get to the ceiling. (laughs) She was like, I was that kid. (laughs) But her very young years were difficult because they were spent on the road. Her family lived in an old bread delivery truck so that they could get around to these just tiny churches around the U.S., Um, and he wasn't getting paid a lot because she was like, you know, I feel like when people think of like traveling evangelists, they think of like these guys that go to these Billy Graham. Yeah, exactly. These giant mega churches and make millions. She was like, we were 
poor. Like we were really, really poor. Like, and they did settle for a little bit. I think probably when like the last kid came along, they're like, okay, we have three kids. We need to settle down for a little bit. Um, they settled in an impoverished part of Pennsylvania. Um, but it just didn't last long because he kept getting called away. So Julia says that this was their life until she was around nine years old. And then they finally got a trailer for the family. So they bumped up from a bread truck to an actual camping trailer that they towed behind them. Wow. Yeah. Then the family of five lived out of a trailer until Julia was in high school. So she was pretty accustomed to living in small spaces. That is so hard. That reminds me of the yeah. book Glass Castle. Yes. Where they were like constantly yeah, moving I was around. Absolutely getting Glass Castle vibes from her story. Um, but being on the road and never having a lot of money, Julia and her family developed a real love of nature because that's just where they were. They camped often and because the family couldn't really afford toys or a TV or anything like that, they just played in nature. And in fact, when Julia was 10 years old, her family was on a hike and a butterfly came and landed on her shoulder and it stayed there for the rest of the hike for like hours. I know. Maybe it was just tired. Maybe. <laughs> Needed a break. But she was so delighted that the family just started calling her Butterfly and the nickname just stuck. So it wasn't a given name from birth. It was just something that like everybody just called her. I love that. I know. Um, being in nature reminds me a lot of Betty White um, and how yeah. she just like was constantly out like yeah. in nature playing with animals and it just forms your whole adult life. It really does. And so she was just like, yeah, like being outside was literally just second nature to me because it was either you're outside or in a tiny trailer with four other people. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm just obsessed with girls that have nicknames that are nothing like their real name. I know. I'm always so jealous of it. And Even I, my own daughter. Yeah. <laughs> One <laughs> well, also it's cool because I feel like people were probably like, oh, my gosh, did like she give that name to herself when she like, you know, was, became a hippie, became a hippie tree hugger. And it's like, no, that was just like her thing forever it was like nature and butterflies. <laughs> like so. Um, but her life was not all nature hikes and butterflies. It was very clear to her from a young age that they were poor. Some churches that they went to certainly had poorer people. I mean, they would be like using outhouses sometimes at these places they were going. Yeah, I've but, been to West Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but as Julia started to attend school more regularly, she would be bullied more often. So hard. She was often wearing outdated hand-me-down clothing that she said also didn't fit her quite right because she hit that 510 mark by age 12. Ugh. I know. And it wasn't cool yet. No, it to wasn't. To wear like retro clothes. Like no. it depends on the year. So she was born in 74. So she's probably in middle school, high school in the 80s. Yeah. Think about the neon colors and the crimped <sighs> hair and the dangly earrings. I know. That's a shitty time to be wearing retro clothing. And she came into school one day wearing plaid polyester bell bottom pants that made the bell shape like at her calves because they were too small for her. Oh my God. I know. And she said the kids were just so cruel. They literally came up to her and were like, oh, let's play checkers on your pants. And they literally stuck thumbtacks all over her legs. That's horrendous. And I this know. is the big argument for uniforms in schools. Mm -hmm. It's why a lot of public schools are like, you must wear khakis and a polo shirt. End of discussion. Yeah. And some of it was like, gang stuff like we don't want anybody wearing gang colors mm -hmm. and other parts of it are like 
because kids are being tortured like this and it's yep. horrible. Yeah. Let me tell you, I think that wearing a uniform benefited me. Oh, a I love, lot. I love that I wear a, I wear, <laughs> <laughs> I love that I wear a uniform. <laughs> Jesus. I love that I wore a uniform. I missed it when I went to college. Yeah. Because I was like, what do I wear now? Exactly. I still feel that way. I looked terrible my first year of college. I didn't know what was going on. I'm still working on it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And this wasn't the only instance of bullying and just like just people being mean to her. But it's like the one that kind of sticks out in her head the most. Um, But like she talks about this instance because she was like, I felt like the shame of being poor was literally being pinned on me. Like, and it just like, it really scarred her. Um, she had also never been to public school before. I mean, when she went to high school, all she had known was homeschooling on the road. And uh, like this weird, tiny private school she went to where second to 12th grade was in one room. Nope. What? Second to 12th grade. I thought my school was bad because first to 12th grade is in the same hallway. That's wild. That I mean, it's not safe for small children that's no, for sure. <laughs> absolutely not uh and i mean how do you even do that i, I don't know she Ugh. said it was like everybody kind of had like a cubicle that they were in and it was basically like guided homeschooling okay and she said they gave you flags and you would put a flag up if you needed help and you would put a flag up if you needed to go to the bathroom okay okay so she's in high school now though in this little town in arkansas and she said it was a very scary place because it's one of those towns in the bible belt where there are five churches on every block but just made up of the most unkind unchristian people you will ever meet she's this newcomer in this very tight-knit community and she's also a real introvert and she just and she spent her whole life traveling so she didn't also have those skills to like make new friends i mean i've talked about this with my uncle before who moved a lot as a military kid and he said some kids thrive and can fit in anywhere and other kids just have a more difficult time he's like i fit in seamlessly anywhere i went but my brother like didn't and like we just had such different experiences moving around a bunch when we were right kids. and his life was a lot harder yeah mm-hmm. and we've seen that with your cousins as oh well oh my gosh yeah But in her time alone, she started kind of finding herself because she was like, all right, well, (laughs) I don't have any friends, really. So I need to find other outlets for my interests. So she started finding herself in activism when she was 14 years old. She fell in love with a baby cow and she stopped eating meat from there on out. She said, I didn't even really know about the world of vegetarianism. I didn't even know the word. I was just naturally drawn to it. And then she started reading about people like Greenpeace and National Geographic. And she just loved all the things they were doing. And she would cut out the articles and put them up on her bedroom wall. Like other people have probably had like Duran Duran on there. And then she's like, Greenpeace. Yes. Save the whales. <laughs> Not Bon Jovi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then she helped form an eco activism club at her school called SAFE, which was Student Activists for Earth. Um, which, of course, made her even more of a target to bullying. Um, people were like, oh, my gosh, you're a dirty hippie communist, which I think now she's just fucking used to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she ended up graduating high school at 16, going to Arkansas State for a little bit, but then she dropped out. 
And then she just put all of her focus into working and saving up money. She was a waitress. And then at 18, she opened up her own restaurant. I like tried to find more information about this because it sounded insane. Um, It was just really wild and like stressful period of her life, especially because like she's trying to open up a business in this like small town in Arkansas. And like the other businesses in the area like didn't like her and her friends and what they were doing. They kept calling the cops on them for things that they just made up for a restaurant. Yeah, <laughs> it sounded really wild. I don't want your healthy yeah. food here. <laughs> it just led to her like selling her part of the business and like abandoning it. And then like she was using a lot of cocaine and crystal meth. Like her life just got off the rails like super quick. Um, but she didn't hit rock bottom until she was 22. This is an instance that changed her life forever. She... So I have a question. So, yeah. okay. So she's born in the 70s and mm-hmm. then, so she's probably 20 years old-ish in the 90s. Yes. So this is like second generation hippie culture. Yes. So like this is not original hippie culture. So when we think about her, we're thinking about people who got it. <laughs> yep. I'm here in my head now. I had yep. to like, because I guess I've always pict- pictured her I don't know. I feel like Greenpeace is so connected with like the original mm-hmm. hippie culture. And now yeah. it's like I just had to place her in my brain. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Now so we're in the 90s now um, and she's 22 and she is driving with a friend of hers um, one night. They had been out and Julia was picked as the designated driver. So she wasn't drinking at all this night. They're driving home and some person that did not have a designated driver crashed into them while they were at a full stop he was going 55 miles per hour where where in the car front back t-bone in the back okay so the back of the car is completely destroyed and julia's skull crashes into (gasps) the steering wheel but through some kind of crazy miracle her and her friend both survived but it wasn't an easy recovery julia was in intense physical and cognitive therapy for about 10 months before she could really walk and talk again oh my goodness she lost a lot of her memory for a while she had trouble remembering things or keeping conversations going and she spoke with a stutter for like years like after that like she had a really hard time like maybe not years but like for a while afterwards like her dad was like yeah i'd be talking to her and then like she would just go like glaze over and like just completely lose track of what we were doing. Almost like about. having a like mild seizure. Yeah, exactly. Just like blank out. Yeah. Yeah. But she said, this is the wake up call that I needed. The steering wheel in my head, both figuratively and literally steered me in a new direction in my life. Nature take the wheel. <laughs> exactly. As I recovered, I realized that my whole life had been out of balance. I had been obsessed by my career, success and material things. The crash woke me up to the importance of the moment and doing whatever I could to make a positive impact on the future. So two weeks after her last doctor's appointment, she ran into a friend who asked her if she wanted to join them on a road trip to California. And with just a new lease on life, she was like, yes. And this is the trip that would take her to a place that would just alter the entire course of her life. The Redwood National Forest Mm -hmm. in Northern California. She said... When she was among the redwoods, like 
this is what church was supposed to feel like. She was like, I had been surrounded by religion and God my whole life. She was like, and I could see how it affected other people. And I always wanted something to affect me like that. She was like, but just religion just didn't do it for me. She was, but when I got to the Redswood, she was like, oh my gosh, this is it. Like, this is my religion. Right. But that incredible feeling then led to one of disappointment and anger when she came across her first, like, cut clearing. She just couldn't understand why people were allowed to destroy these trees that are somewhere between, like, 800 and 1,200 years old. And not only were they cutting the trees down, when they cleared away the brush that was left, they would often burn it with diesel fuel or napalm, which can like kill the soil, which prevents things from regrowing there, leaving just this giant charred piece of earth. Oh, it's terrible. It's horrible. And then like without the trees there to kind of hold everything in place, you have intense soil erosions and mudslides that then like it carries all those harmful chemicals to the other parts of the forest and the streams and the drinking water. And it's just, it's horrible. And um, this is a process called clear cutting. And it was the cheapest way to harvest trees and clear the land. But of course, it's just horrible to do for the environment. And it's it's one of those things that's crazy because obviously it was, I think, um, Theodore Roosevelt who set up national parks. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, we're going to make sure these spaces are safe. But pollution doesn't have boundaries. Mm-hmm. So when you clear cut an area, that runoff goes and affects the national park area. Yeah. So it's like, well, what you're not actually protecting that land if you're being ignorant around it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I do want to make a point that like for a hundred years, the company that is going to be the center of this story, Pacific Logging, was a family owned company which prided itself on sustainable logging practices Okay, for a hundred years. And then some <laughs> asshole took over. Yes. Okay. I hear you. But in 1985, (laughs) a Texas millionaire named Charles Hurwitz bought the company and threw all of that out the window. Those Texans were like, if I can't have oil, I can have these trees. (laughs) And this is the world that Julia has entered. She gets there. She's in awe. She's disgusted. She's like, oh, I need to like, I need to do something. So when all of her friends left to go back home, they're like, all right, back to Arkansas. She was like, oh, no, I found my home. I'm staying here. So she stayed and got a job at a reggae festival, which was being held as a fundraiser to save the forest. And she started to meet people who like she was like, oh, my gosh, everyone here also wants to save the forest. This is amazing. (laughs) And she was just so inspired that after the festival wrap, she was like, all right, I need to like really commit to this. So she's like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to sell literally everything that I own I'm going to come back and I'm going to dedicate my life to helping protect these trees and that's exactly what she did but when she got back it wasn't as easy as she thought it was going to be to like break into this eco-activist world she wasn't exactly sure how to help the people who were already there didn't really need her help so she just kind of stuck around and she was like all right well I will be here cleaning up trash and recycling if you need me. (laughs) I mean, this was all kind of new to her. And uh, then she's hearing people talk about this thing called tree sitting. And she's like, wait, what is that? And they're like, well, like in order to protect a tree, like they can't cut it down if you're in it. So we just put someone up in there and then like it protects the tree. And she's like, I feel like I could do that. 
And she's like, I think I'd be really fucking good at that. <laughs> and she was. Um, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> um, so she kind of focused her energy then on like, okay, I'll be here. But I think that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So she just kind of kept putting herself in the way of like, like, I want this opportunity. And that obviously came in the form of Luna the Redwood. This reminds me of, remember the year the Ravens were so bad that that guy sat on the roof of the bar until we scored a touchdown? No, I don't remember that at all. (laughs) This must be, (laughs) this is in like the early 2000s. We were terrible that we went like a month at least like weeks and weeks and weeks without scoring a touchdown. And he was like, I'm going to sit on the roof of this bar and you guys can bring me food. Until we <laughs> score that just touchdown. sounds like he didn't want to pay for food for months. Like, if you guys could bring me a double cheeseburger and a side of curly fries, I'd really prefer them to be curly. Yo, um, Katie, this was in Overly. <laughs> of course it was. I didn't expect it to be literally anywhere else. <laughs> I, who, this is much more important than that. Yes. <laughs> it just reminded me so quick of that moment. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> moment in Baltimore history. So at this time, Pacific Lumber um, had decided to cut down this giant tree um, named Luna. It is, or she is, I guess, an 1,000-year-old, 200-foot-tall redwood tree. And as soon as activists from Earth First exclamation point um an environmental group saw that blue spray paint which marked it for destruction they started organizing sit-ins to try and stop it which totally gives me fern gully vibes oh that's exactly zach with yeah. his spray paint and his yellow and his walkman, walkman. <laughs> i'm batting i love robin williams i love that whole movie i'm so good it's one of the most comments i think we've gotten when we posted about fern gully um and tim curry as the liquid oh my god i had nightmares about that liquid slime forever (laughs) it's so good (sighs) so they're trying to stop this Mm -hmm. also doesn't she i don't know if she was voiced by her but doesn't she look exactly like that actress that was super popular in the 90s and early 2000s who was in um that witch movie the coven or whatever i know exactly you know who who you're talking about she was also in the water boy playing the love interest um (laughs) i cannot remember her name for the name for the life of me but i feel like she must have been like modeled after her because she looks so much like her she was a real cute fairy so they're like we have to stop this so they build a base camp kind of thing at the bottom of the mountain where luna lived And then they hike up to this tree and they built a platform out of salvaged wood 180 feet up into the tree. And they had people occupy the tree, usually for a couple of days or a week at a time, starting in October of 1997. But in November of 1997, about a month into this, volunteers were getting really tired (laughs) it's cold it was winter it was cold like i feel like we don't remember that certain parts of california get pretty cold yeah they're really far north yes and they just wanted to go home to their families for thanksgiving and the tree said it had only been happening for like a month so 
it like I think they thought it was just kind of gonna be over <laughs> and no one was prepared for the winter because it's like nice when it's like warm and you're like wow this is really lovely look at this but, view exactly. it's like Lisa Simpson wanting to leave to oh yeah go. and we will talk about that okay okay um and by talk about it, I just mean mention, mention it, it because it was obviously based on Julia right, right, um right. but people we're just like, I really am over this. And Julia was like, this is my fucking chance. And even though she didn't even know what Earth First was, <laughs> there she is picking up the trash around the camp. And she's like, me, 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 I can do it. And she's like, just raising her hand so far into the air because the guy's literally going around like, do you want to get up into the tree? And they're like, no. And like, everyone is saying no. And there's her like, she's Hermione. Me, she's <laughs> Hermione. And he's like, look. You don't have the experience. You're not even really a part of our organization. And you're a girl. A girl has like never done this before. Calm down. And he tried so hard to find someone else. But everyone was just like, no, man. So he gives in and he goes, fine, you're a butterfly. So she makes her first journey. So this isn't like the tree set. This is just Mm -hmm. her first one. So she made the journey two miles up an extremely steep mountain in the rain and mud just to get to the tree. Also, you had to travel by night to get up the mountain because all the land was technically owned by the lumber company. So if you were caught, you would be arrested. So they used the light of the moon to get up to Luna, which is how she got her name, which I thought was pretty cool. That is cute. (laughs) So she finally gets to the tree. It's pitch black. She's given just the most basic rundown of like, okay, here's how you tie the knot. Here's how you check the safety and get on up there. And she goes 180 feet up into this tree. Nope. Not for me. I can't do heights like that. No. (laughs) She was supposed to be relieving the two sitters who are already up there, but they decided not to come down quite yet. So her first night ever up in Luna, there were three people on a four by six platform. (gasps) She was like, of course I didn't sleep at all because I could hardly fit my feet were hanging off of the platform and I felt like I did this stupid journey for nothing because like if they're not gonna leave then why am I here like because the whole thing about a tree set is you can't leave the tree alone because then they'll come in and chop it down right you don't need three people to tree set no (laughs) but eventually they left and she was by herself and that first sit she did she stayed up for I think like about a week like five to seven days she did one more short sit Um, But then these two younger activists wanted to go up. They said, oh, we've never done it before. It'll be so much fun. So she was like, all right, great. I'm going to come down. These two kids went up. They stayed for one night. And we're like, wow, that was the fucking worst. (laughs) Because not only was it cold and windy, but they were like, oh, my gosh, like, like, I'm just not comfortable. And then the loggers were threatening them during the day during the day okay so you need to go to rei yeah and then get something comfy and then what you need to do is get some earbuds yes so you just don't even listen to them right and they got like super scared because these loggers were literally threatening them like we're gonna come up there and kill you (laughs) so these two kids came down and ran away leaving luna unattended Uh uh-oh So this was an emergency, all hands on deck. Like he was like, 
look, I'm sorry to ask you this, Julia, but we need you to get up to Luna as soon as possible. So she was like, ah, okay. Um, thankfully, in the time period that Luna was alone, the loggers who were there, they weren't old growth loggers. So like Luna wasn't cut down, obviously, um, because like you have to have like a really certain set of skills to cut down a redwood tree because it's uh, huge, huge. And you'll die. Exactly. Um, so the good thing was like Luna was safe for a little bit, but they were planning on coming back the next day to finish the job. So on December 10th, 1997 when julia was 23 years old she climbed up to where they had oh i'm sorry i forgot to mention this when the kids came down from luna the loggers cut the rope like super high so that nobody could get back up there (laughs) well that sucks yeah so julia had to like climb up this tree with no rope like (laughs) a good ways off the ground wow and then tie herself in and then she went up into luna and one guy was like yeah she goes all right see you in two weeks she thought she was going to be there for two weeks a month at the most and as we all know she ended up being on that tiny ass platform for two years and eight days <laughs> it's so incredible that's so long that's like longer than this podcast has even existed i can't believe you would sit <sighs> 180 feet in the air for two years it's insane how do you get food people bring you food yeah so there was a night there was a pulley system to get food up to her and everything uh she had a bucket to clean herself um which i just the whole thing she slept in a sleeping bag just on this platform (laughs) she had some tarps around her (laughs) I cannot sit in one room for five minutes. I know. know. And so the first three weeks she was up there, her friend Almond came up there and stayed with her. But she said after those first few weeks, she could see that it was just getting too hard for him. His face turned gaunt. He was suffering physically and emotionally. And it was just getting really hard for Julia to bear. Like, she was like, I feel like I'm killing you. I can't also be your emotional platform exactly. when I'm being my own emotional platform. Exactly. So she was like, you know what? Um, I'm doing fine. Uh, why don't you go back down? And he was like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. <laughs> and... I mean, it was hard to be alone. The isolation was definitely difficult, but Julia was also facing several other just horrible situations. So the winter she went up into Luna was one of the worst California winters on record. There were major storms. It was freezing. And where she was up in the tree, I mean, Luna was the tallest tree in that area. And she was like, 20 feet from the top so all of that snow and hail and sleet and rain was hitting her directly but the worst storm she experienced it lasted two weeks straight i mean this this green organization needs to employ a medical doctor yeah because they would have been like okay let's get her down for like a day or two and check her out and i know switch out for a little bit i know but, I mean, she had tarps surrounding her platform and a sleeping bag, but it, that's just nothing compared to 40 to 90 mile per hour wind and storm and snow, like just beating down on you. The storms shredded the tarps, and at times her little platform was like completely tilted. 
And one time, in a particularly bad part of the storm, she was bucked off of the platform. And thankfully, she landed on one of Luna's branches, but like had to like crawl herself back yes! in. Like During she's Mowgli or something. Yes. She said, <laughs> I did love this. She goes, and that was when she was like, I felt like I had been completely broken in every way a person can be broken. But she was like, I was still holding on to one thing. And that was my life. So after that, I put a fist up to the storm <laughs> and I said, if you're going to kill me, I'm going to die grinning. <laughs> Whoa. I don't want to be put in that situation at all, actually. <laughs> Thanks, Moses. She was like, I was just too focused on, like, my life. And I was like, that's a pretty important thing to be focused on. That's, like, the only thing you should be focused on I when know. you're being bucked <laughs> off a tree. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And she almost lost multiple fingers and toes to frostbite. frostbite. I was going to say that. Yeah, her toes and fingers were black. black. Oh, Julia. She said, if it gets even, like, a little cold her toes still turn like purple. Really? Yes. To this day, she still doesn't have proper circulation in her feet. Girl, it's insane. Sit by a fireplace for a bit. <sighs> but even more scary than the weather were the threats coming from these loggers. Tree sitting was kind of spreading across the forest and Pacific logging company was getting really fed up. They would yell at the protesters and threaten them. But then things started to get really out of hand. In September 1998, a couple of months into Julia's stay in Luna, another protester from Earth First, David Chain, had staged a tree sit in another redwood. After a few days of threats coming from loggers, the loggers then started cutting down trees around where David was, and they started specifically angling the trees to fall where David was. was. So they were going to accidentally purposefully kill him. Mm-hmm. Okay. And on September 17th, 1998, one finally made contact with his tree and he was killed. Man. Horrible. And of course, the logging company was like, we didn't know that he was up there. It's not our fault that like some crazy guy, you know, was up in this tree that technically belongs to us. You know, like they were like, you know, they were just like claiming that they had no idea he was up there. But videos and just all this footage came out came out that like showed these exchanges between david and the loggers so yeah like, bitch it's they, the 90s it's the 90s we have camcorders you cannot so, like, say you didn't do could, it anymore exactly they couldn't deny anymore that they knew he was there finally a wrongful death settlement was reached three days before trial was scheduled to commence because i think like there was like a weird thing where like they're like well we can't really do anything and then finally his mom was like okay well i'm going to file this suit because like you're saying that like no one should be held responsible because the logging company was literally trying to like be like no it's earth first's fault like it's like they specifically angled the trees to kill him yeah it's absolutely your fault yeah in um so the financial terms of this settlement remain undisclosed but as a reminder of the tragedy the 135 foot tree that struck david chain will remain where it fell so it's still there to this day and they created a 100 foot buffer zone like around where this was and they established um kind of like a no cut zone okay so this prevented any logging around where this memorial was and they like did erect like a plaque that you know kind of said what happened 
But things were getting really scary, and this was getting serious, and tensions were only escalating between the activists and the loggers. The loggers would just yell at her and tell her all of the things they were going to do to her once they got her out of the tree. They made cuts into Luna's trunk while Julia was in the tree. They cut off all the little trees that were sprouting off from Luna's base, and then they sent twin propeller helicopters to sit right above Julia's head. Let's like they, she said the you like know, those are like those army ones with like two yeah, okay. the giant army ones. Okay, gross. it was seventy five feet above where Julia was. I mean, the wind that sends down, I cannot imagine. It caused three hundred mile per hour winds to just engulf the tree and the platform that Julia was. She was like, this was one of the moments where I was like, I am going to die. They are really trying to kill me. And this is, of course, mind you, highly illegal. <laughs> and then again, the logging company was like, that never happened. And they were like, like, Julia, it's night. Again, it's the 90s. Julia had a camcorder. And she was like, I have video footage of it. I can see the pilots. I can see their faces. That's how close they are to me. Like, horrible, horrible. Then they tried to starve her out. There was a pulley mechanism, like we mentioned earlier, where people could send up food to her. But for 10 days, nothing. Pacific Lumber stationed a security team around the tree, which prohibited anyone from sending anything up to her. But they worked around it like they would like send people like yelling into the forest to kind of distract the guards and they'd like get something up to her really quick. It was really crazy. <laughs> and they did eventually get access to her again because I think after they tried to starve her and after they tried to literally blow her out of the tree, like someone was like, OK, look, yes, she's trespassing technically, but the um proper like protocol for when someone is trespassing isn't to kill them that's not like an appropriate response like it's not the number one thing no. you would do you usually put like a sticker somewhere that says no soliciting right exactly <laughs> like um so eventually like yeah like they kind of backed off but like even though she really appreciated everything that earth first the kind of organization that she kind of met up with that she appreciated everything they were doing for her she said it was really upsetting having to deal with all their drama especially since she wasn't technically a part of their team <laughs> the circles of activists who surrounded her were constantly disagreeing and fighting with one another and julia was just so over it she said at some point she just hated everyone and she said if these are the people who are on the front lines of saving the forest we're screwed well it's like when she was at church as a kid yeah she's like if these are the people who are supposed to be the best people on earth yeah. then fuck that exactly and she like if she was she said i was just so disappointed and she was like you know a lot of people kind of criticize me for criticizing organizations like earth first she was like but like who else is going to criticize them like it's either going to be people who have no idea what they're talking about or me who's actually on the inside of all this and right. like actually has a voice that people will listen to and like yeah you know what they need to get it together <laughs> like because them fighting amongst each other isn't helping anything like because I think what like something that happens often in like 
activist groups is like everyone wants to be the best activist and like the most like good person so like everyone's trying to tell each other what to do and like yeah anyways everybody wants to be the face of the organization yeah exactly and she was just so sick of it she's like well you know what i'm the only one up in this goddamn tree so like shut up um and I think this is one of the most important parts of the story because I always thought that she was kind of a pawn used by an established organization to be like, okay, like we want to cause a media stir. So let's send like the cutest girl we have up into the tree and like, you know, use her. But that really wasn't the case. She was always acting on her own accord and even tried to like distance herself from the establishments below that were like trying to help her which I think is that's very cool it's very cool like it just I feel like I was always taught as a kid like because obviously this was happening when we were both kids and it was like oh my gosh that dirty hippie tree hugger like what a lunatic like you know whatever wants to live in a tree yeah which I mean who does unless you're part of like the Swiss family Robinson that's That's a beautiful tree But you know what I'm saying? And it was just like, I was always taught that like, yeah, like she's just doing it for the media stunt, whatever. Yeah, exactly. She can move and go home to her rich family. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just like, I didn't think that this was going to be her situation. So, um, but throughout all of this, she said one of the worst things that she experienced was sitting up in that tree day in day out and still hearing all the other trees around her being cut down she just felt like okay like i'm saving this one tree but like what about all those other beautiful redwoods that are being destroyed and even though she knew that she was doing all she could for the time being being she said it hurt her soul every day to hear those loggers destroying the forest that she was working so hard to protect She said it was like grieving the death of a loved one every time. And she just wasn't able to distract herself from the pain because she, she doesn't have anything. She's just by herself. And uh, it just sucked. So at first her goal was just to break the record, which at that time was like 45 days, (laughs) which she obviously smashed. Yeah. Um, I think this is the forever record. Yeah, exactly. But she was like, you know what Americans love? breaking records which we do um she was like so that will be my way to get their attention because one of the big purposes of this she was like well if we can get people's attention on me then like then we can get their attention on the forest and maybe people will like actually give a shit about saving the redwoods and of course as a lot of us remember from the 90s it worked (laughs) julia was all over the news because people just couldn't get over what she was doing. And the longer she stayed up there, the more of a celebrity she was becoming. I mean, people magazine named her one of the most 25 interesting people that year. I mean, it was crazy. Everybody was talking about yeah, it. Yeah, Everybody, whether you were for it or against it, exactly. everybody was talking about so, it. So like Julie's just up in the tree and like, she's on the cover of like every big magazine at the time and newspaper. And like, she's on every news channel. Like it was insane. And then she started having like celebrities come and visit her, like um, Joan uh, Baez and Bonnie Rayet. There are two like famous celebrities that are like big, like eco warriors. Um, they're um, musicians. Um, they hosted like a benefit concert for her. And they raised all this money, and then they went up into the tree to visit her, and they sang songs together, something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but while she was up there, 
when she wasn't like, you know, giving all these interviews and stuff um, because she said she just had like a little like giant like 90s cell phone. Oh, yeah. And, that looks like a brick. Yeah, <laughs> and like a radio thing. <laughs> and she would do interviews all the time from up in the tree. It was crazy. Um, but when she wasn't doing that, her friends would send up books and other material about nature and trees and like the science behind it and, you know, and all that. And Harry and, Potter. And Harry Potter. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like research about logging and like, like, so she's reading all of this stuff and she's keeping track of what was literally happening to the forest around her while it was getting stripped. She could see the trees disappearing and the water and the streams turning brown. She saw a mudslide happen right below her feet that was directly caused by irresponsible deforestation and she did all of this so that when people asked her about why she was doing this she could answer them in an eloquent and educated manner which is an even clearer sign to me of just how dedicated she was because she's like yes i need to get publicity about this so people can understand what's happening to the forest because there were literally people that like were being interviewed they're like why is she doing this? They're not even allowed to cut down redwood trees. Like it's illegal. And they're like, no, it's not. They're obviously doing it. Like yeah. it's like people just thought like, yeah, of course they're protected. And they weren't like right. <laughs> certain areas may have been, but not all of them, you know, and like there's no sudden regrowth of a 1200 year old tree. Like no, and once it's gone, it's gone. And sometimes when you like interviews, like, Groups of people like I remember watching interviews about her on the news and people just being like, we love the trees, man. Yeah. And I was like, that doesn't give me any information. I know. <laughs> so she was like, if I'm going to be an ambassador for the tree, I'm going to be the best ambassador I can be so that when I eventually come down, whenever that will be like, <laughs> you know, I can know what I'm talking about. And like people who have, you know, degrees and whatever they have can like understand what I'm saying. And like, I can also translate all that for like people who don't have degrees in biology and like I can reach more people. Her whole thing was about just reaching more people and explaining the dangers of irresponsible logging. Right. It was great. So anyways, um, so she's doing all this and, like I think people like see the pictures of her and kind of see videos from her being interviewed and they're like oh well she's just having a good time and it's just she was not okay all the time um she said she wanted to come down so many times and even though she was putting on a brave face and doing everything she could to survive she said that she was just broken on every level and she just wanted to abandon her post so bad but she didn't and even her father when giving an interview said if this corporation thinks they can outweigh my daughter they haven't met my daughter <laughs> which I kind of love because I, I hope I didn't paint like her parents in like a negative light no. like because she was like yeah my parents were like loving and kind and cool you know but like she was like we just didn't have the same beliefs you know or whatever and like I kind of love that like her dad was like I'm supporting what she's doing you know and it, there's nothing like a strong-willed daughter. I know. And there's nothing like a pastor to have to fight with that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you know what? He was right. The company broke down after two years and a deal was reached. The Pacific Lumber Company agreed to preserve Luna and all trees within a 200-foot buffer zone. In exchange, Julie agreed to vacate the tree. And uh, in addition, the $50,000 that 
Julia and other activists had raised during her tree sit, that was given to the logging company. It's like kind of like, we know you own this tree, so we're going to pay you for the tree. Right. Um, but then, like, I read somewhere that then, like, they ended up donating that to the Humboldt State University as part of an agreement for research into sustainable forestry. But I don't know. That's cool. I don't know if it was the same 50000 or I don't know if it was an additional 50000 I don't even know if that's true. <laughs> I read that one I read on Wikipedia. Right. Um, but basically... Somebody from the Pacific Logging Company got on to Wikipedia and was like, and then. They weren't all bad. (laughs) (laughs) So on December 18th, 1999, Julia touched the ground for the first time in 738 days. That's mayhem. Katie, that's mayhem. And let me tell you. With her bare feet. (laughs) The video of her being let down is so emotional she like is being let down she's on the pulley she doesn't have any shoes on obviously and she just collapses and she's literally sobbing into the ground because it's just so overwhelming for her i'm sure i mean she's like i I can't believe it's over. I'm so happy it's over. I'm having separation anxiety. She was like, at that point, Luna the tree was my fucking best friend and my teacher and my mentor and everything to me. She was like, it was just me and that tree for two years, for 738 days, <laughs> like just insane. So, but she got down and, you know, then of course, like she's being interviewed all the time, you know, and all that because she's a celebrity now. (laughs) (laughs) But unfortunately, it wasn't just Julia who became a celebrity. Luna was now a target for all sort of commotion and riffraff. And a year after her sit-in, someone trekked up there and took a chainsaw to (gasps) Luna. No. They didn't cut her down, but the gash was like 32 inches like around the base and like it like they got in like two-thirds into like luna what a dick i know that's just like a i that's a spiteful spiteful thing to do horrible and julia's on the east coast so she's can't even get there so she gets the call someone was like someone attacked luna and she was like i was on the first flight back to california she goes but when i got there team of people from everywhere from like local colleges she goes pacific lumber like they sent out people they created like this natural salve which i didn't even know you had tree salves existed and they literally like put it into the tree to heal the wound it was bell gunnish she had the salve probably (laughs) (laughs) and they so they healed her as much as they could with that and then they installed steel brackets to help keep her stable which were structured like butterfly bandages, which I think is just so cool. That's really cute. That's really cute. (laughs) As of spring 2007, the tree is doing well with new growth each year. Caretakers routinely climb the tree to check on its condition and to maintain the steel wires that help it after it was cut. But people are encouraged to appreciate Luna from afar. A lot of people try to visit the famous tree, but most of the land surrounding it is still owned by the logging company. So you can get in trouble and it's just dangerous because again, trees are falling left and right. Right. Um, And it's also just not too great to have like tons and tons of people go to any natural place like that. Um, But Julia was 
also not treated very warmly after she came down. Um, she was threatened a lot. One person drew a knife on her and tried to attack her. Another person pulled a gun on her and threatened to shoot her. Ugh. She even had to hire a bodyguard for a while after she came down because people were like really fucking mad at her for sitting up in the street. <laughs> like people had all sorts of feelings. Um, but she said, if Luna can survive, I can too. It's what happens when you become a symbol of change that people aren't ready for. Of course, this isn't her only experience with activism. On July 16th, 2002, she was uh, put in jail in Quito, Ecuador, <laughs> um, outside the offices of the Occidental Petroleum Company. She was proposing a proposed oil pipeline that would penetrate a virgin Andean cloud forest um, that is full of rare birds. She said the forest, the cloud forest is stunning. It's this deep, lush green spangled with explosions of red and yellow and purple from the flowers, birds and insects. But the environmental destruction we saw along the pipelines that had already been built was horrendous. Um, Ecuadorian President Gustavo Noboa commented, the little gringos have been arrested, <laughs> including the old cockatoo who climbs the trees. <laughs> well, I just love the couldn't have put it better myself. And then she was deported from Ecuador. <laughs> right. Okay. In 2003, she became a proponent of tax redirection. Uh, she resisted payment of about $150,000 in federal taxes. She don't she didn't not pay her taxes. She said, I just donated the money that I would have paid to the government to after school programs, <laughs> arts and cultural programs, community gardens, programs for Native Americans, alternatives to incarceration and environmental protection programs. So she paid taxes, just she, yeah, just not to the government. She, pay, she paid the taxes the government is choosing not to pay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she wrote a letter to the IRS saying, I'm just putting them where they belong because you refuse to do so. <laughs> in 2006, she protested the sale of a South Central farm in an attempt to save a 14-acre farm from developers. But now she mainly uses her platform to speak out on all sorts of issues. She travels around the U.S. frequently, um, kind of similar to her dad, giving up to 250 talks a year. She has a website where you can find her blog and read what she's up to and what kind of vegan food she's cooking. <laughs> you can also hear songs written about Luna, and you can see all sorts of pop culture references to her famous sit, including, of course, season 12, episode of four of The Simpsons, uh, an episode called Lisa the Tree Hugger, where Lisa recreates a very tiny portion, obviously, of Julia's tree sit. <laughs> she is currently 46 years old and still firmly believes that if you're the only person left, as long as your hope is committed in action, then hope is alive in the world. And that's the story of Julia Butterfly Hill. What a great, <laughs> great, great story. I feel like it kind of like was a little sporadic because like there really isn't much online about her. So it's <laughs> trying to kind of piece it all together. No, that's how it, it was great. I think that, you know, the tree sit is the biggest portion of her story. And that's yeah. the portion that people want to hear. And yeah. it was great to have her childhood and then like what she's doing now. Yeah. So yeah, just a little taste. So, so yeah. And uh, apparently she's also a life coach now. So oh. if you need uh, a life coach, hit up Julia. <laughs> I need somebody to send me some vegetarian food for my yes. kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to get more drinks and we'll be right back. Bye. 
modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. I'm Lexi. I'm Haley. And I'm Alana. And we're covering the good, the bad, and the ugly of women's history. Tune in to Lady History every Thursday to hear about different ladies across history and cultures, from astronauts to zoologists. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Lady History Pod, and find us wherever you get your podcasts. So we're back. We're back. I will say that I burst into tears when I was doing this research. Oh my god! Not because of this, but because last March... I did an episode on Selena Kyle, which is Catwoman. Yeah. So I wanted to go back and listen to it so that I could see how and when I referenced Poison Ivy. I'm now using myself as source material. This is such a problem. Isn't that a great feeling? It is so good. Um, We've made it. But in the beginning, you were like, yeah, I've canceled my wedding for May, but we've moved it until like later this year. So I think we'll be fine. And I just like started sobbing. I was like, we're not fine. Oh my um, god. And it's like it's one of those things like we are I do feel like we're turning a corner. Yeah. But like <laughs> I and I'm sure like other brides can like relate to this. Like I didn't choose to like have the tiny intimate wedding. I didn't choose to right. get eloped. I'm choosing So now to, you're like how long do I have to wait? <laughs> right. I'm choosing to keep my big wedding, which is fine. You know, cuz like I for me and Casey, like I literally thought about just not even signing the marriage certificate. I literally just wanted a giant party. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, what? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. so I was like, I'm not going to compromise, you know, on my wedding because like for me, like that was the point of it was right. to have a giant party. So I was like, okay, like I'll just wait it out. And now I'm just like, so like annoyed. <laughs> I actually did last night though. Um, I had a dream about my wedding and it was a good dream. So that was nice. That's good. Um, yeah. Cause I bought some shoes that I might wear with my dress and I was like, I don't know. Like, huh. it's just hard. Like I just don't even, I don't want to plan my wedding for a third time. Yeah. And it's, it's not really fun the difficult. third time. I had um, a dream that I had my nipple pierced. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Oh, that's nice. I woke up real confused about it. <laughs> nothing would, uh, nothing uh, repulses me more than the idea of me having my nipples pierced. Really? Like, I'd I, be fine with it. No, I couldn't do it. I, I could I would not be do fine it. with it. That's Listen, interesting. I totally support other people doing it. It scares the living hell out yeah, of me. It would like, hurt for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you want to know what you're drinking? I do. It's green. <laughs> so this is called Nature's Daughter. Ooh. And it's two ounces of gin, a half an or a fourth of an ounce of absinthe three-fourths of an ounce of lime juice um three-fourths of an ounce of simple syrup two mint leaves and then you top it with ginger beer in a champagne flute cheers Mm. you know i will say we don't always get the absinthe right but it really complements this drink it it feels good in the drink the absinthe with the ginger tastes so good this is another drink where the ingredients mm. are really nature ish yeah. and they're really complimentary mm. it it um leaves a really nice taste in your mouth without the absinthe being too much yeah i love it and i love just like when you're drinking it like the mint kind of comes up too so like it just Mm. it's really this is delightful it also like kind of has the appearance of like a slushy which i love it does <laughs> and i think the absinthe too like really hits home the 
this is poisonous type of drink with poison ivy. So why don't you tell me what you know about Dr. Pamela Isley? Okay. I know that she is played by Uma Thurman. (laughs) I know. I just know that like, you know, it's just red hair, green costume. Like I know that she is a villain, but I feel like she's one of like the misunderstood villains because it's like, I love the meme that's like, so you're trying to tell me that like Poison Ivy and, you know, what's his face, Mr. Freeze, like we're supposed to root against them when they're trying to like help the plants and like cool down the earth from global warming. And we're supposed (laughs) to root for like the hedge fund billionaire. Like, I don't think so. (laughs) Wrong. So I think that she's, yeah, like. I think that she's has a good mission, but maybe goes about it in wrong ways. Um, and that's just all I know. Cause again, I'm not, I didn't grow up in a very like comic central household. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so she's really fun. And now that I've done Selena Kyle and Pamela Isley, I'm going to have to do Harleen Quinzel when we Absolutely. get to her. <laughs> I'm going to have to round out the, the crew. Um, so, First of all, I got a lot of this information from Nerd List and from Shipper's Guide to the Galaxy and from Avian Comics, which are all really wonderful YouTube channels that you can find that give a lot of great background information on comic characters. And also, I just want to, I'm enacting the Madonna Claws on this fictional <laughs> character. because As just, you should. <laughs> comic books are just so chock full and then there's live action things like Gotham and like the movies and then there's cartoons for kids like Gotham girls and I just can't do everything so I'm gonna try to do the most widely acknowledged images of her and it's gonna be multiple different ones but the the ones that most people agree with so that we can get a good feel for who she is so that when we do the comparison at the end it's fair perfect fair fair Fair. okay um okay Pamela Isley, comma, PhD, is a supervillainess in the DC comic universe, typically in Batman storylines, but sometimes she's been in Superman storylines. So she is not exclusive hmm. to Batman. Interesting. She was created by Robert Kinninger and Sheldon Moldoff, and her debut was in Batman number 181 in June 1966. 1966? She is oh an my God. old, old villain. An old, old villain in the comic series her story was partly inspired by a short story by nathaniel hawthorne that's called rappuccini's daughter which was published in 1844 and it was about a maiden who tends a garden that has poisonous plants in it and becomes resistant to these poisons and is thus rendered poisonous wow So this is like this older story brought to life. And then I was reading other sources that said the story of the quote poisonous maiden dates back to Sanskrit. (gasps) That there's like the idea of this woman who is poisonous is a very common trope in fiction. Huh. So that's pretty cool. I do like that. It's kind of like. I don't know. I love when comic books are rooted in something like so much older and deeper than themselves. Like it just, I don't know. I love it because if anyone loves attention to detail, it is people who read and write and enjoy comic books. (laughs) It really is. And it also made me think of Rogue in the X-Men series, like how Mm. she can't touch people. It's like such a different way to look at the poisonous woman. But I think 
or even like Medusa, like freezing people. Like yeah. there's this idea in comics that there is an, a, a woman who cannot be touched or seen. I just feel like it's all rooted in the fact that women are seen as like public property for men. Right. Like I'm, we can't, there's no like real, I mean, I'm trying to think of like a fictional man who it's like, you can't touch. Like no. there's like the invisible man, but like, <laughs> and there's always ways around it. So I feel like with people like Cyclops who he has to wear the glasses to protect mm-hmm. his laser eyes. Mm-hmm. It's like, he's still the leader of the group. Yeah. Whereas like some of these women are either a super villains or right. like, I have to wear gloves or I will kill you. Right. And I think that was one of my favorite things that came out of our Medusa episode was that like, it was kind of like, a horrible gift that was like Athena was so sick of people like trying to attack Medusa she's like all right <laughs> if you look at her you will be turned to stone like <laughs> that's it uh please everyone listen to that episode if you haven't it's one of my favorite ones we've ever done yeah, yeah. it's a really good one you might have to get it it's an early one it's a really early one yeah it's definitely so it might not even one. be on Apple podcast no but it is on our website us. it is on our website and like Spotify and yeah, all that those, so yeah. Apple podcast loves to limit mm-hmm. so Poison Ivy was gifted with the power of the green, which is a fictional force that flows through nature. She's not the only DC comic character that's connected to the green in this way, but her connection is the strongest. Hmm. She refers to herself as nature's daughter, as per the cocktail name, in that if Mother Nature was God and the green was the Holy Spirit, then she is Jesus. Ooh, okay. But her connections to Jesus end there because she's definitely an eco-terrorist. <laughs> so <laughs> there's not, she's definitely going about things the wrong way. So let's back up. She was not originally Pamela Isley. She started as Dr. Lillian Rose, who was a promising botanist who was persuaded into assisting a theft of Egyptian artifacts that held these ancient herbs. Hmm. Mark Legrand was the name of the guy who's telling her to like help him steal this stuff. And he thinks that she's going to flake and rat him out. So he attempts to poison her with these deadly herbs. She survives this murder attempt, but she acquires this immunity to all toxins and diseases because of it. This is not the most commonly accepted backstory. Many people felt that this didn't, this wasn't enough to make her crazy. Mm. Like you have to suffer like, or people think in comics you have to suffer some sort of trauma to turn out like a supervillain. So her story is totally retconned. And so were a lot of people's in the DC series Crisis of Infinite Earth. And that came out in 1988. And these stories really stuck. Most of the comic book origins for DC that you hear about were the 1988 ones. In here, her name is Dr. Pamela Lillian Isley who is a Gotham City botanist. She grew up wealthy with emotionally distant parents. She goes to college in Seattle to study um, botanical biochemistry. She's very shy and was persuaded by her professor to take part in some experiments, which is a true thing. That happens to women in college a lot. Like, if you want to stay in this degree program, you need to do X, Y, Z for my study. Oh, my God. And, I mean, especially at this time, you know, the 80s and such, before, it's like now more women get PhDs than men. But back then, it was like, it's like an Elle Woods situation. Like, 
<laughs> if you want to be part of this law group, then you need to have sex with me type thing. Yeah. So. And that really makes me angry because I'm just going to say my friend just went through that in like motorcycle school. Like it was terrible. Like she got her fucking motorcycle license, which is really hard and amazing. And then For like, anyone. And then the guy was kind of a creep to her at the end. And then it like made her doubt herself of like wow did I actually get my motor like did I actually earn my motorcycle license or was he just trying to get my pants like and it sucks because she absolutely did because she's a badass and the best but like I hate that shit like that has been happening to women for so long and it makes them doubt themselves and that is the thing that everyone is missing about that situation is like the mental like you know what i'm saying like it fucking sucks it's the mental strain and it's the strain that you feel like you don't deserve to be there yeah when in actuality you do right because women already have like i feel like higher rates of like imposter syndrome oh, yeah. and then oh, yeah. it's like okay so i already felt like i wasn't supposed to be doing this and now this happened and now i really feel like i don't deserve it even when i got it like, and i'm super uncomfortable about the whole thing uh, so this is happening to uh pamela isley During these experiments that she agreed to, she's injected with poisons and toxins for this botany study to the point where she's near death twice. This unethical research slash torture lands her in a hospital for six months and drives her nearly insane. She has these violent mood swings that go from sweet to evil. And after her hospital stay, her boyfriend has this mysterious car accident. And it turns out that he had this massive fungal growth inside of him. And that's when Pamela realizes that she must be toxic because of these experiments. So she drops out of college and moves across the country to Gotham, which we pretty much all accept is New York City. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's Baltimore. (laughs) (laughs) It's Philadelphia. (laughs) She's not in love with the way the big city is treating the environment as a botanist. And she threatens to release these spores into the air to suffocate the citizens of Gotham Gotham until they meet her demands. This is obviously where she meets Batman. He appears in Gotham around the same year as her, and he's the only one that seems to be unaffected by her seduction and toxic lipstick, which she always has on hand. He does stop her and get her locked away in Arkham Asylum for and from here on out, she's just obsessed with Batman. She's like, why could he fucking stop me? I don't understand. This Batman connection has been retconned many times so that that is the most commonly agreed upon backstory. But there's also another one. Okay. (laughs) And I'm going to give you the other one because I think a melding of the two is really important. Okay. Because we're just going to disregard that first one. Well. Because like it's kind of. It's kind of. I think they really like that one. I think both of them kind of meld together in people's minds. They can't remember which one they read. So people are always, it seems like in the YouTube videos I watch that people are always pulling details from both. Okay. They came from separate series. Okay. Wait, but isn't, wouldn't this next one make the third one though? Yeah. That first, first one, nobody cares. Right, right, right. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, The first one, nobody cares. Dr. Lillian Rose, (laughs) that's bullshit. So there's this one, that first one where she, was convinced in college to do whatever. And That's like the big one. Okay. Right. And These now this ones. is this other one. Okay. So 
in this one, she grew up in like a suburb right outside of Gotham. Mm -hmm. And she was an only child with both of her parents. And she was born with a rare skin condition that gave her an aversion to sunlight. And she had like this protective medicine so she could go outside. Hmm. But her father still would not let her go outside. And he was like really abusive and controlling. So one day her dad's at work and she goes outside to garden with her mother. Her mother obviously has like broken wrists black eye because the dad's really abusive Mm -hmm. and um pamela is talking to her mother about loving gardening because she feels like the flowers listened to her as time went on uh so did the abuse and at one point you can see pamela kind of realizing that her mother keeps being sucked back in by being given flowers like as an i'm sorry gesture oh, and just got chills uh, oh my god it's it's like one of those things where she oh. then uses this against people obviously later but one night her mother tries to defend herself and her mother's unfortunately killed in this abusive incident And then the police show up to take her father into custody and he is found guilty of domestic violence and is sentenced to life in prison. Well, that's good. Yeah. I wish she hadn't died. Yeah, it's really sad. But Pamela goes to live with a relative. Then kind of the same story ensues. She goes to college to become a biochemist. But in her degree program, instead of being persuaded to do something, in this story, she has agency. She creates (laughs) a drug using plant pheromones and sells it to her classmates for the euphoric state that it provides. And she gets in big trouble in the university and the dean is going to like kick her out. But then she uses the drug on him and graduates with honors (laughs) (laughs) and becomes a doctor. After graduating, she goes to visit her father in prison for the first time since he killed her mother and she kisses him before she leaves killing him the next morning, obviously, Mm. because of this toxic lipstick that is both deadly and untraceable. This, though, is where we get the Batman connection in this story. She gets a job at Wayne Enterprises and works in their biochem division developing pharmaceuticals. She uses the drug to seduce people into getting a meeting with Bruce Wayne. And she's like, hey, look, I can increase your sales 100%. She explains the drug to him. She explains what it does. And he's like, are you kidding me? You want me to modify the behavior of the buyer by brainwashing them? (laughs) No, that's terrible. So he fires her and then explains to her intellectual property and that he owns this drug. (laughs) To which she gets really pissed. She's furious. She rushes back to her lab and takes her stuff. Security confronts her in the hall. She drops it. It breaks, comes up on her, and turns into, obviously, poison ivy. Okay. Either way... She knows Batman. Batman knows her. And she has been unjustly turned into this other than human being. Okay. But at this point, both of them still think that each other is like their real person counterpart. They don't know. Like. Right. So like each person is like, okay, like Poison Ivy exists and, you know, what's her face exists. But like, and like Batman exists and Bruce Wayne exists. But they don't, they haven't. Neither of them have connected the dots yet. No, they haven't. In the very beginning. And they kind of connect the dots loosely over time. They realize who each other are because they work together in one scenario. And then the other scenario they met in their supervillain form. Okay. But there's a lot of story points that happen throughout. 
And obviously, her mission is just to stop anyone endangering nature. Yeah. She can feel it. She can smell it. It talks to her. It's her babies. And she uses her abilities to stop people in any way necessary, even by harming them. So she uses her deadly power, obviously, to seduce men with hypnosis, and then they're shortly dead after with her kiss. She also rapidly grows poisonous plants like Venus flytraps to human size Mm. so they can, like, swallow people. She also would grow plants through people's veins when she was, like, angry. She's one of the Batman villains that actually has supernatural powers. Most of them don't. They're just crazy. (laughs) She, like, actually could do magic things, you know? Like, she's connected. She's not just, like, a rich guy or a guy that paints his face like a clown. So, (laughs) Or a guy at all. (laughs) (laughs) Or a guy that's a penguin. I don't know. What was his deal? (laughs) What? That was always so crazy. Also, there's no one else. Like, if Danny DeVito wasn't alive, there would be no penguin. (laughs) No, no, no. Like, out of the out of the story. (laughs) Nobody cares about the penguin. (laughs) Um, and then there's like obviously she uses deadly spores a lot because people can breathe them into their lungs, and that's like a really scary eco terrorist thing. Like something you can breathe in. I know we're literally living in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's COVID. Poison Ivy, thank you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> her new life as Poison Ivy emotionally changed her, though. She preferred the company of nature over humans and becomes more and more isolated. Her crimes, in turn, become more and more violent. And a lot of fans have theorized that she is a different species now, other Ooh, than human. Evolving as a species. Right. I love that. She's idea. totally separate. She and Batman continue to have run-ins because of their different ideologies. She makes the world a better place, but he's like, yeah, but you're killing people and that's not cool. But in all of their run-ins, of course, they're going to have a little bit of a relationship here and there. But as we know, currently, Selena Kyle, or Catwoman, is married to Batman in mm-hmm. comic lore. Right. They are like they the are actual like married couple. Married couple, like real soulmates right so anything that pamela and bruce had was just a fling (laughs) it's it's over and done with um in many stories she's visited in prison because she's in and out of arkham asylum Mm -hmm. uh by dr harleen quinzel who was the resident psychologist for gotham harley's background story is interesting as well but we'll go into her later and i'm later in this story i'm gonna spend a good deal of time talking about both their platonic and intimate relationship because it's the most important thing about poison ivy but when dr harleen quinzel started to be the psychiatrist at arkham asylum she began to sympathize with the criminals Mm -hmm. specifically the joker as we know and in some stories, Harleen sends a letter to Ivy's cell that has one simple plant leaf inside of it that she can use <gasps> to break out. Oh, my God. And she does. So whether or not you subscribe to that storyline, Pamela gets the hell out of Dodge once she's out of Arkham Asylum. And um, she's like, I did this whole life of crime thing to have enough money to get away. So she leaves And the more time she spends away from people, the more plant-like and peaceful she becomes. Pamela finds a deserted island that's kind of like a barren wasteland in the Caribbean and makes it a second Eden. She's living peacefully and alone, and she's happy for the first time in her life. 
However, <laughs> an American-owned corporation decides to <laughs> test their weapons there because they thought it was a deserted island. So they pretty much firebomb her babies, like her, oh all her God. plant babies on this beautiful island. She returns to Gotham with a vengeance. And her goal is not to leave Gotham until it's, quote, purified which sounds to me like uh, final solution yeah. that's really dangerous uh, Pamela. I, yeah that terminology is mm-hmm. very problematic it's not a good thing to say miss girl <laughs> so she of course is in and out of arkham asylum and teams up with these two women holly and eva her who are two other women who her college professor did experiments on oh okay so they like all work together okay as super villains. <laughs> Villainesses. Villainesses. <laughs> After her time on this Caribbean island, though, the line between good and evil gets crossed more often. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just happened in the 90s and 2000s with bad guys in comics. Mm-hmm. It was always like they're doing the wrong thing, but for the right reason, just like what you said. Yeah. And this happens especially with her maternal side. Because there are a lot of people who theorize that because of her genetic trans transformation, she's rendered unable to have children. And she really wants children. She loves plants. She hates adult humans. Loves the little babies. Hmm. She wants some babies. And she can't Ooh. have them. Mm, okay. So she has a soft spot for kids at the very least. So there's this massive earthquake in Gotham that just destroys the city. Thousands to millions of people die. And she's in the park, Robinson Park, which is pretty much Central Park. And they, she goes around and she collects these orphans who, who their parents died. And she's raising 16 orphans in the park. And she cares for them, like her sons and daughters. And they are choosing to be here. This is not like a theft situation. They're like, we don't have food. We don't have parents. Everybody in Gotham starving to death. Thank you, Green Lady, for saving me. Like, it's fine. And she starts to, like, kill anyone who tries to come into the park to take them away. Batman gets involved. And he's like, no, she's doing it for the right reason. She's creating, like, a biodome. <sighs> To, like, save these kids. A bio-orphanage. Yeah, it's oh a bio-orphanage in, quote, Central Park. <laughs> it's really <laughs> nice. Um, but when Batman gets involved, he actually helps her. He's like, okay, let's let her stay here. And she can actually also, with her powers, grow fresh produce to give to all these starving people because of the earthquake. Even though he's a millionaire, he could just buy <laughs> shit for them. But he's like, why don't you use your powers to make I some could, apples? I could buy you another park to have these kids that isn't, quote unquote, Central Park. But I won't. I won't. <laughs> make some apples and we'll feed Gotham together. <laughs> so she starts to do that. But of course, when Gotham reopens, she's evicted from the park in quite a serious battle in which one of the orphan teens accidentally dies. Oh, no. A lot goes into this intense storyline, but mostly she feels guilt over the death. She takes medicine to get rid of her powers, but then she takes medicine to get her powers back. And in the end, Ivy's pronounced dead. And this is kind of where she is right now in the comic world. Although there is a scene later on of her killing these two police officers. They didn't make it clear whether it was before the dead thing or after the dead thing. And also they illustrated her grave with nothing around it. And then all of a sudden with all this ivy sprouting from it. So most people believe that she is not dead but in critical condition. Okay. 
So there's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of what I just said. And again, that's not all of her important storylines. There's the Gotham City Sirens. She's recruited by the Birds of Prey. She's in Poison Ivy Cycle of Life and Death. She's involved with the Swamp Thing, who also part of the Green. She's in DC Rebirth. But one of the items that has brought Poison Ivy to the center of attention recently is her sexuality. Hmm. Harley Quinn, unlike many other characters, was introduced in the Batman animated series, not the comic books, and was later placed into the comic books. Really? There is a love-hate relationship about their relationship. People hate and love that they're together. They both have had relationships with men, the Joker and Batman. Both of them have had relationships with each other other really yes it's like the i kissed a girl with poison <laughs> chapstick that type of situation okay so in the cartoon animated children's series gotham girls they are just best friends and i mean they work with like catwoman and batgirl like they're all kind of good guys and those two are like the click okay in the comic text the words they're best friends but in the illustrations, which many people argue are canon, they're not. They are shown waking up together in very little clothing. They're shown kissing on the lips on a regular basis. They have been shown in panels showering together. What? Cuddling with heads on each other's shoulders, grabbing each other's butts, discussing moving in together. They do this in both their supervillain outfits and in their regular everyday clothing. And they're both female phds they are a couple but here's a couple of things to know we know that the joker really fucked with harley and most people when they broke up were like thank fucking god she deserves so much better than him and they were so happy about ivy but ivy's said to her in a panel why do you even put up with that clown like i hate him she's the shoulder to cry on friend but others say Ivy's just as bad for her as the Joker was. She also is condescending and manipulates her. I don't think she's just as bad. I disagree with that statement, but I do, based on some of the comics I read, I can see where it seems like Ivy attempts to manipulate her mm -hmm. because she feels like another species and not human. Yeah. But we also know that Harley is the only person that Ivy has injected to make her immune to her own toxins. So Harley cannot die from any poisons that Ivy has or any poisons in general. Ivy also hates humans. So the fact that she hangs out with Harley is really, really important. And mm. also the panels of them kissing are worth a lot of money. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's really important to the DC comic world. Wow. DC did release a tweet around 2016 that said they are girlfriends without the monogamy so they confirmed that they are officially a bisexual couple and wow. a polygamous yeah like a polyamorous bisexual couple some people really struggle saying that this is bisexual fetishization because oh, like it's like you know, why can't they just be right. lesbians yeah. and and also that like Comic book characters are so sexy that it's like, yeah. are you just doing this so that men can read these books and see two girls kissing? Like, right. what exactly is the point? But others say that all comic book kissing scenes are hot. And, like, if you see, 
like Wonder Woman and Batman kissing in a comic book, you're like, damn. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> who drew that picture? Even the male female ones are sexy. So it's like, why would it be any different if it's two women? Right. You wouldn't want it to be. Yeah. Some people say they really wish it just had remained a strong female friendship and they really liked it that way. Some people now feel like DC's reacting to the criticism and they're making their relationship safe and generic. They're being like having panels where they're like, oh, let's buy a loft together instead <laughs> of let's use our brilliant minds to fuck over the city. And then a, one of us abandoned the other one at the end for our own personal needs. Like okay. they're supposed to be villains. So people are like, you're making them just like the common girl next door. And then some people are like, yeah, but that's representation by people or just by people. Like who right. cares? So it's a big trouble in the whole LGBTQ plus community. Right. Because I'm sure that like people who do identify as bisexual, who are constantly erased from the narrative because people are like no you're just like you just haven't made up your mind yet it's like no I just legitimately am a confirmed sexual orientation that you don't acknowledge you know and so I'm sure for people like that it's like okay why can't they just be bisexual and it be okay right because the fact of the matter is a lot of people are and the whole backlash kind of reconfirms this thing that like people are like oh you just don't you're you're just being wishy-washy, which I feel like is something that gets tagged on to people who are bisexual all the time. And it's like, no, I'm not being wishy-washy. This is just how I feel and how I am. Like, why, like, why is there anything wrong with why this? Why is there anything wrong with this? Like, and I think that people kind of feel that way about Ivy. They're like, she's a placeholder for when Harley Quinn eventually goes back to the Joker. And it's like, okay, yeah, Harley Quinn has been, like, her brain has been psychologically fucked by him. And we know that. He's a terrible, terrible person. But there are people in Ivy's corner. We know that she's with Selena Kyle. We know that she's with Dr. Pamela Isley. And these are her crew. And it's like, back off. Yeah. I don't know. Like, so it's become a really, a really big point of contention because Ivy's, And Harley's sexuality has become so important in the DC universe, and it should. Yeah. So different writers treat her differently. Sometimes she's Caucasian. Sometimes she's green. Sometimes she can change back and forth. Sometimes she's a recluse. Sometimes she has a best friend. Sometimes she's a terrible eco-terrorist. Sometimes she has a soft spot for children. Sometimes she's completely 100% straight, and sometimes she's bi. But... Whatever she goes through and wherever she goes and whatever she does, she's deeply connected to nature and is trying to protect it, even though sometimes it's very misguided. So now she's rarely involved in criminal activities and goes wherever she needs to go to defend nature. She seeks a life of peace, but remains one of Gotham's most notorious criminals. Mm. There we go. And that is the story of Dr. Pamela Isley, a.k.a. Poison Ivy. That was great. I feel like she's such an iconic character. I just like didn't really know anything about her because she's one of the most visually appealing characters of the whole Gotham situation. You know what I'm saying? It's the, the colors. There's very little yeah. green. That like the bright green and bright red together just really draw your eye. Absolutely. And she's Stunning. Like, 
I literally don't think that I've ever seen the Uma Thurman Batman movie. It's so even funny though and I, good. <laughs> I did. Speaking of GameStop, um, I went to a GameStop slash movie stop <laughs> and I when they were closing and I bought the like DVD set of all the Batman movies. But I only ever watched the one with the penguin and the cat one because oh, it's my favorite. <laughs> this one's so I mean, the the George Clooney, Chris O'Donnell, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger, Uman Thurman. I have to watch it. it you know what? It is so good. It's my favorite. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to take it to Chesapeake Beach and I'm going to watch it. Good. It's, it is a fantastic work of 90s art. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I'm the Tom... I mean, Iceman. <laughs> I did watch Jingle All the Way for the first time, and I was blown away this yeah, year. It's great. <laughs> it's like, what an insane movie. <laughs> um, okay, well, I think we need to talk about both of these ladies together in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Okay, so, I mean, we, we picked these women because I feel like they are both obviously very rooted in ecology and saving the environment and I feel like the main point of this was to point out what eco-terrorism is and what it is not (laughs) very very true like poison ivy was intentionally killing people yes to stop something from happening whereas um Julia Butterfly Hill was staying in she was intentionally not letting someone harm nature but she wasn't doing anything to them no she wasn't and uh, like it's one of those things of like people literally tried to murder julia because they thought that she was an eco-terrorist and she's like i'm literally sitting in one place like how can I be an eco-terrorist when I'm living on a six by eight platform? (laughs) Like I'm not doing anything. Like there are some arguments that like, you know, a lot of the local economy was on logging. So like, you know, if they can't log, you're harming their families or whatever. Like I did read a lot about like those arguments too, but like there is detrimental eco-terrorism. There are people that harm other people in an effort to like, save a tree and like that's not okay but it's not what julia was doing but she if you like i just feel like people saw her as such a villain mm-hmm. and people even though she is literally written to be a villain love poison ivy more than julia they do <laughs> and it's very funny because poison ivy also just like julia did not want to be a part of this group yeah, it's like a lot of people. A lot of times, poison ivy continues to get pulled into these different groups in the comic yeah. books, and she's always separating herself. Like, I don't subscribe to what you're doing. That yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah, I'm trying to just do this one thing. Well, and I love that in the beginning, you were like, she's always just pulled into like the Batman saga, and she is so much more than that. And I thought about that in terms of like, yeah, like. She's not exclusive to the Batman story. And Julia Butterfly Hill is not exclusive to any particular organization. And both are very purposeful as of like, no, I am much more than the community that backs me. You know what I'm saying? And it's like my story can reach more people because I'm not just tied to one storyline. And I think just the words 
are important mm-hmm. that we use in how they're not tied to one storyline because it's like if you look at something somebody who's an activist yeah. versus somebody who's an extremist versus someone who's a terrorist those are all different stretches right yeah. so like I know we likened poison ivy towards the beginning because this is something that's been said about her to like Jesus right like if she's right. the son of mm-hmm. mother nature right but it's like Jesus was also an extremist of the Jewish yeah. faith he was like I don't think what you're doing is cool I'm gonna like shift it over here yeah so much so that Christianity wasn't even a thing till like 500 years after he died it was still it was still a part of Judaism yeah so activism is just that it's stretching the beliefs and that's what Julia did she took these trees and she said we need to stretch our understanding of what is and what is not acceptable logging and it does suck when big business is hurt it does suck when Bruce Wayne had to get involved and his company is suffering and he's like no you can't sell that shit because it's dangerous like that shit does happen yeah and families are involved that get paychecks we get that everybody gets that but that doesn't make it okay to just continually do the wrong thing right because I think we like to paint like environmentalism and business as totally separate all the time and they can't join together because nature is always linked to feminism and like the like fem like just a feminine energy and business is always masculine Mm. and when i wrote down like a whole fucking tree pyramid because i was like well nature is feminine business is masculine and then feminine is like like you know nature and like like preserving nature is an activity of long-term gain like pacific logging company was like for a hundred years yes we have been doing logging this way and it has been fine and then you have this fucking asshole from texas coming in and he's like yeah but don't you know that you could be making so much more money if you just did it this way and it's like the conversation of like, no, we're making enough money is never had. It's like, but you could always have more. And it's because the masculine side of business or whatever you want to call it, whatever is all about the short term gain. And we as a society appreciate the short term gain much more than the long term gain because we are a society of immediate gratification and we can see that. It's like you look at your profits from 2017 to 2018 that's amazing and you're like yeah but why don't you look at the environmental impact we've had from 2010 to 2020 we're never looking at those numbers because our society is based off of what's the news of the day what's the news of the week what's the Mm. news of the month who are the 25 most interesting people of this year right and it's just so funny to me that like Julia is in these paper magazines being touted as like the most interesting person. It's like, yeah, but are you actually paying attention to like what she's fucking saying? And it's like, yes, Poison Ivy is being nuts. But like, are you actually listening to what she's saying and like paying attention to like what we need to do to survive in the long term? Like people don't want to see that. I mean, they don't want to see it. I mean, honestly, Katie, how high can the sycamore grow? Literally. (laughs) If we cut it down, we'll never Never know. know. (laughs) Thank you, Disney. Um, No, I did write down in in like a similarity to that. I wrote down yours was like girl versus Texas business. And Mm -hmm. mine was like, 
Ivy versus Gotham. It's like, yeah. you are doing this wrong. And I, I mean, obviously Ivy went about it in very the wrong way a lot yeah. of times, but like <laughs> she's saying you are doing this wrong, but when she was doing the Robinson Park thing, it was like a sit-in. She's yeah. saying, I'm going to create this little biosphere. I'm going to save these children. There was a horrible earthquake. She was not harming one person. Yep. She was just hanging out in yep. that area. And even Batman was like, she's cool, guys. He was like, male sponsorship all the way. She's doing fine. She's just going to grow some apples over here. But it's like people could not handle it, and they evicted no. her. Because... And I wrote this down too. It doesn't matter how much fucking male sponsorship you have. Maternity will always be seen as a weakness. Right. Because that's why corporations hire women less because women will care about their children more than your fucking business. I will go to that ballet recital. Right. <laughs> Fuck and you. It's like, they don't see that. It's like, yeah, that's the right thing to do. And maybe men should do that more often too. like value the ballet recital over the fucking business meeting. But like they see it like it's literally dollars and cents in their minds. And it's like, I, I, I just couldn't get over this feeling that like you were talking about how like, you know, poison Ivy, like saw the plants as her children because she like, literally was barren you know right. from like all of these things that happened to her which like you know if we're talking about certain storylines weren't even her fault like she wanted to be a mom and she couldn't you know mm. and like julia is a person who has chosen not to be a mom because i think they both put their energy into ecology and the earth and they're like no this is where i'm putting my energy and like it's just as like valid as having children you know like but any sort of like tender nurturing care is seen as a weakness because if in a lot of worlds including this one and the fictional comic book one if you care about something more than money then it is a weakness and people will exploit that weakness to the nth degree to the, to the nth degree like even if these two women also valued education and we oh know gosh, they yeah. did yes and it doesn't matter that they valued education so like julia was like i'm gonna sit in this tree i'm gonna read these books i'm gonna learn what i need to know and it's like yes i'm not following a degree path but mm -hmm. i want to be able to educatedly speak to people about why i'm doing this yeah and ivy was a literal bot botanical <laughs> biochemist <laughs> like she was a literal phd and people were like it doesn't matter what you have to say because we don't care about the thing that you're talking about yep yeah. we just want you to like sit there and be cute in a tree and we want you to sit there with your poisonous lipstick and yeah. like whatever just stop talking yeah that's exact that's exactly it yeah. just like shut up about it like I don't <laughs> shut up about it. It's the phrase that I feel like most people live on. Shut up about it. Yeah. yeah, it's true. And I just think that neither of them could shut up about it because they both literally felt like they were talking for the earth. Like I didn't really get into this in her Very story. The but they literally were like Julia was like, I spent two years and eight days just listening to the tree that I was living in. And like she would talk to me and she right. like the forest would speak to me. And I felt like I was their spokesperson. And I feel like that's what Poison Ivy is. She's the spokesperson, the spokesperson, but nobody wants to fucking listen. Yeah. And you know, it's great. I do think people like 
Dr. Seuss, Theodore Giesel, who wrote the Lorax, like now we're the generation that read that. Mm-hmm. Julia Butterfly Hill is the generation of people who read that book. Like yeah. I speak for the trees because the trees have no tongues. Yeah. Like I'm here. Mm-hmm. Listen to me. We yeah. can fix this problem. Yeah. So it is a new generation. It's like, I always think about, you know, how like Inspector Gadget like talked into his watch. Yeah. I'm like the kid who watched that on TV grew up and made the Apple watch because he's like, that's possible. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is what's happening with a lot of the literature we're feeding children now. It might not directly affect today, but it really is going to change the way people look at the world. Yeah. And the thing is, Julia Butterfly Hill changed the fucking world in a real way because a lot of like you know eco stunts didn't lead to anything this one did this one did and it is major and i think that people forget that a lot of times like people give up julia was the one person that was like no i'm not gonna go home for thanksgiving i'm not gonna go home for christmas i want to fucking be here for this tree because i'm not gonna give up and like I want to do this to actually make change. And she did like that literally changed the course for things. And people can say whatever they fucking want about it. They can call her a dirty hippie, whatever. But like she is a beacon for environmentalists all over the world because she really did make changes like and I think we cannot overlook that. No, we can't. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Are you ready to toast these I'm ladies? Ali, who would you like to toast this evening? So I've just been thinking a lot about this this week, and I can't really tell why. It's probably because I was researching poison ivy a lot, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I really want to toast to women that for whatever reason cannot have children and yeah. want them. Yeah. I just... If it's something that you want and it's unattainable for you, I just want you to know that you don't lack worth because of that. And it's so hard to feel that way because so much of a woman's worth is tied up in her ability to reproduce. And that's unfair. Yeah. So I just I felt that way for Poison Ivy when I was reading a lot of her storylines, especially Mm -hmm. since people have laid that on her. And I don't know if that's how she truly feels because she's a fictional character. But I know there are humans on Earth that feel that way. And I'm very sorry that that's the case. So Mm. cheers to ladies Mm. who want to conceive and currently cannot. Mm. You know what? I actually thought about that a lot when I was listening to last week's episode because I was talking at one point, I was like, man, I love when I get my period because I'm not pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of thought about like, I didn't hear it when I said it. But when I listened back to it, I was like, man, for some women who are like really trying to conceive, like seeing your period is like the worst fucking thing. It, I mean, and like and like not that like, <laughs> you know, it's bad to be excited when you see it. But like. Yeah. I didn't like when I was listening back to it, I was like, man, like I remember like friends of mine who really wanted to get pregnant, just like being like, I got it. Like I got my period and it's the worst. Yeah. You know what I'm saying like, and I feel like there's space for both things to exist, but like there are. And I think that's why it's so good to have it in open conversation. I mean, yeah. we are, we are two of the lucky few that get to have conversations and then re-listen to it a week later and grow from that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Absolutely. So like, thank God for that. Even if this goes nowhere ever in our entire lives, we're right. like having a session every week. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and like, 
I was thinking about it too. And I was like, and there are some women who never have a period. And like, that's also like, yeah, there's a valid experience. And many women that don't ever menstruate. Yeah. And I was just thinking of like, it really is such a unique experience to like literally listen back to how you were a week ago and then rethink it and, and grow then, from and it. grow from it. And it's amazing. And like, I don't know. I just think it's cool. So like start video record or like audio recording yourself, talking to yourself <laughs> in the car and then listen back to it. Yes. Oh, it's perfect. But not while you're drunk. I mean, not perfect. It makes me feel terrible about myself a lot. Um, <laughs> no, but- <laughs> what you said was perfectly valid because then I also said the exact opposite. I was always like, thank God. Uh, the other thing. Okay. Okay. Toast to Julia for me. All right. I am going to toast Julia and women who really believe in something. Um, being an activist full time. I mean, being an activist part time is so difficult. I can't even imagine how it is being an activist full time and having to defend yourself every single day. No, we're and like, like one sixth. You're an activist. I know. <laughs> one sixteenth. And I just appreciate the people who dedicate their lives to making our world a better place because I, for one, will never be that brave. And I just want to toast to Julia because it is literally her entire life. And she is just so good at it. So I'm glad to have her on the front lines. Thank you, Julia. All right. It is the end of the episode. So Allie, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So I need everybody to bite the bullet and sign up for Peacock. Peacock. Okay. Is it, is it, I heard that it's free one place and I heard it wasn't it another place. Oh, it is free. So okay. We signed up for Peacock for no money. It's like the, I mean, you can get it without commercials for free. It's kind of like that Hulu sense where Wait, like if you without pay commercials more. for money. Oh no. Yeah. Without yeah. commercials for money. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Opposite. But it's just literally online streaming NBC. And I'll tell you now they are going to rope you in and then start charging you eventually. Okay. But we signed up for completely free. We have access to 30 rock <gasps> all of the nbc shows that have been taken from everywhere else yeah, because this yeah. parks and rec now i think even it's it's really really nice to have those little things because sometimes it's like this sounds so dumb but it's like <laughs> i've looked through everything on netflix yeah. and i don't want to watch <laughs> world's best leftovers like i don't <laughs> fucking feel like watching that tonight but i just it was like hey we want to watch 30 Rock. It hasn't been on Netflix or HBO or anything for a really long time because NBC was trying to get us all to sign yeah, on. Right, right, right. But it's nice right now. Okay. You can kick it off later. Okay. I also love that they named it Peacock. How original. <laughs> they did a really nice job because okay. it's just Kenneth's pin. Yeah. Kenneth. I love it. Um, yeah. Okay. So it's free right now. Do it. Do it now while it's free. Okay. And then we'll see what happens. All right. We'll see. Well, I am going to recommend recommend recommend. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Mine. <laughs> um, so, a really wonderful experience happened to me last night, where I like I don't really like quarantine has been hard, but like I it's like restaurants and bars are something that like yeah I like going to, but it's I don't think my life is very lacking without them, you know. But last night fiance and I almost called him producer (laughs) fiance and I just had a couple beers and we sat across from each other at our kitchen island and we played bar games oh fun like we were playing like 
like finger hockey where like you like pass the like bottle cap between like just back and forth and like try and like score on each other. And I just want to recommend like it was such a nice kind of like, yes, this is like what it felt like to be at a bar, but at home because like you can like recreate that kind of stuff. And like with friends, you know, or like your partner, whoever you're living with, if you're living with someone, but like, it was so much fun and I just hadn't thought to do that in all of quarantine. And last night we just found ourselves just like having a beer together and playing a stupid game that you would only play at a bar. So like whatever your bar game is, just play it at home. And it, I promise you it's going to be fucking fun. (laughs) Yeah. And if you don't have one, Google one, Google one. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so many. And if you want to do ours, you literally, so the rules are your two thumbs, you have to overlap your thumbs and you have to shoot a bottle cap into the other person's Mm. thumb finger hole. (laughs) Yeah. That's fun. But you have to, you can only use your index finger and you have to keep all your other fingers on the table. Ooh. It's very fun. So producer and I do three pennies. Have you ever done this? No. Okay. So there's three pennies and you put them all together in a triangle and you flick the one penny. And then to get across the table into the goal, you have to keep flicking the penny through the other two. (gasps) Oh, I love that. It's very fun. That's the thing. (laughs) Whatever you got, just like play a bar game at home. It's really fun and it kind of takes your mind off things. And if you're missing the bar scene, it makes you feel right at home. (laughs) All right. Well, that's it for us tonight. So thanks for listening. Listen to us everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) You can find us in so many places, Mm -hmm. but we would love if you followed us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and mm-hmm. LinkedIn. Those, we, we post every day. Yes. So um, any like is um, so, so much value. You feel like it's free, but it's not free. It's so much value. And we love it. And we want to thank all of our patrons. They are just the most magnificent people. This week, I asked what everybody's Harry Potter house is. And I'm going to make a chart for oh, next week I so that we can that. figure out what patrons are the <laughs> most of. So that will be fun. That's going to be great. Um, We really love you. We love your comments. We love your support. We love your um, rates and reviews. If you've already done it, but it was like a long time ago, do it again. Do it again. (laughs) Get your mom to do it. Just get somebody (laughs) to do it. Take your husband's (laughs) cell phone and do it on Uh, I should do that. I should take fiance's cell phone and write a review for us. You should. And from fiance. (laughs) Like, I can't believe I'm marrying this person. (laughs) One star. I love it. All right. Well, thank you again. We love you. And never forget that well-behaved women don't believe in global warming. They don't. (laughs) And they rarely make history. Never. Goodbye. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye